0: how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today, it's episode 378. It's titled, Is Stagflation Coming? Later this week, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics will release the latest inflation numbers for the U.S. Inflation measures the rise in prices over time. Inflation is caused by an increase in the money supply, the amount of dollars and other fiat currencies outstanding. And it's a function of demand to use those dollars to buy goods and services. Historically, most of the money supply increase comes from new bank lending. As banks issue new loans, that process leads to money creation. Money is also created through central bank asset purchase programs, sometimes called quantitative easing, in which a central bank will buy outstanding bonds. And if that happens in combination with the federal government running a deficit, that actually also leads to more money flowing into the economy. Government statisticians measure inflation by calculating how much the price of items that are included in a reference basket of goods and services changes from one period to the next. They conduct surveys, they go to stores and see what prices are listed at for various products. In the U.S., there are over 200 categories of goods and services used to calculate the consumer price index. Those goods and services are divided into eight major groups, food and beverages, housing, apparel, transportation, medical care, recreation, education, and communication. In the February release, about a month ago, the US Consumer Price Index for all urban consumers, known as CPI U, was 0.6% for the monthly change. And compared to a year ago, January 31st, 2021, to January 31st, 2022, inflation in the US, as measured by CPI U, increased 7.5%. That was the highest annual inflation rate in the US in 40 years. 1982. I was in high school then, a long time ago. Back then, a McDonald's Big Mac sandwich cost just over a dollar and 15 cents. I was very aware what Big Macs cost at the time because my stepdad insisted that at home we eat only vegetarian meals. So I would go to McDonald's in order to get some meat. Those Big Macs took a meaningful percentage of my earnings from part-time work. I was extremely price sensitive, so I was aware how prices of Big Macs and other goods went up over time because it cost me more money. I'll admit, sometimes I still eat Big Macs. We've been traveling for five months, so we've spent an inordinate amount of time at McDonald's drive throughs which in and of themselves are interesting social experiments. As most McDonald's, fast food restaurants, have two drive-through lines, there's the stress of figuring out, well, which line will be faster. Then the two lines merge into one as you go to the pickup window and to pay. Now, I might not remember how much Big Macs cost over time, and I really don't. I think they're somewhere between $5 and $6 because we remember things that are unusual. I remember Big Macs back in 1982 because I wasn't allowed to eat them at home. On this extended road trip, I remember being verbally assaulted at a McDonald's outside Las Cruces, New Mexico. A woman in a car thought that and I had jumped the line, and she was so upset. Another time, a driver butted or cut in front of us at a McDonald's. It was our turn to merge, and she went right ahead. Apparently, she felt bad because she bought our meal, which consisted of one soft-serve ice cream cone. Last week, I was at a McDonald's. We didn't go through the drive through because we pulled in the wrong parking lot, didn't want to go back out into traffic, so we ordered from curbside pickup. This was in Oakland, California. They never brought our order. I went to the door. The restaurant was locked. They were inside. I knocked. A worker looked at me and then walked away. That charge is still pending, so we'll see if I have to dispute the charge. So we remember things that stand out, not necessarily prices, unless we're on a consistent budget and buy the same thing from month to month. Lepro I's spending tends to vary from month to month. I'll admit I also don't pay much attention to what I pay for gasoline. I choose gas stations more based on whether the pumps have video screens that yell advertisements at me because I'm going to buy gas irrespective of the price. I'm a price taker. Of late, though, I have been paying attention to what gas prices have done. They're up over 20% in the last couple of weeks. We paid $5.79 a gallon for premium gas in Orinda, California last week. And then right near where we're staying in San Diego, the gas station is charging $6.19 a gallon for premium. Now, gasoline is always more expensive in California because there are additional gasoline taxes. But if we look at the huge jump in gasoline prices, just through the end of January, even before this whole situation with Putin's invasion of Ukraine, in the year ending January 31st, 2022, gasoline prices increased 40%. Gasoline comprises about 4% of the reference basket used to calculate the consumer price index. That means gasoline alone contributed 1.5 percentage points to the 7.5% inflation rate. Another big contributor was used cars. They increased 40% in the past year and 1.5% just in January 2022 alone. Used cars contributed 1.7 percentage points to U.S. inflation in the past year. In other words, if gasoline and used car prices had been flat in the past 12 months, inflation would have only been 4.3%. There are hundreds and hundreds of items in this reference basket. And not everything soared in price. Potatoes were only up 0.1%. Cheese was also fairly flat in the past year. Cosmetics and perfumes fell 1.7% in price. Wireless phone service fell 0.5%. And smartphones fell over 13% in the past year. Now, when you get to smartphones and other technology, there's something that occurs that the statisticians at the BLS adapt for, quality improvements. A smartphone today is more powerful, a faster chip, perhaps more memory than a smartphone a year ago, and statisticians adjust for that. The product's price might be the same from a year ago, but if the quality has improved, then that will reflect in lower prices for smartphones in the past year. Some argue the Bureau of Labor Statistics doesn't adjust enough for quality improvements. It's incredibly subjective. The other challenge is the product mix can change over time because consumers change what they buy. Well, Pearl and I, for example, were remodeling our home in Tucson. We were going to put down paver bricks in the driveway But the costs have gotten so high that it was actually more economical to pour cement for the driveway. So we're going to do that. We substituted out what was in our personal basket. Statisticians that calculate inflation do the same thing over time because the Consumer Price Index is not just a measure of prices, it's a measure of the cost of living. And they measure that cost of living based on utility. How much satisfaction are consumers getting? when they buy certain things. And so if the mix is changing and a consumer is able to substitute a lower priced good or service for a higher priced one, and the satisfaction is the same, then the substitution's there and that reflects in the inflation numbers. There are services such as shadow stats that very much disagree with that approach. They believe that inflation should be measuring the same thing every month, that the basket shouldn't change. And if we look at inflation using shadow stats numbers, it's over 10% in the past year. I think there should be adjustments. Our personal inflation rate will be different than the basket. As tastes change, that should be adjusted. We use smartphones today. We don't use landlines. A telephone landline shouldn't be necessarily in that basket of goods and services used to measure inflation. That leads to four observations about inflation that are important before we take a look closer look at what stagflation is. First, it's subjective. How inflation is calculated with regards to the reference basket and how that basket changes over time, but also how the statisticians decide what they're going to survey to figure out if the prices increased or not. For example, breakfast cereals, cold cereal, which comprise about 0.1% of the CPI, they fell 1.5% in January and increased 5.2% in the past year. I have no idea why breakfast cereal prices fell. Did they change which breakfast cereals they used to calculate it? Presumably, they used dozens, if, if not hundreds, but Maybe there was some other adjustment. We have no idea. The second observation is inflation does differ by person. If you don't drive and eat a lot of cheese, your personal inflation rate would be very different than someone that is a big meat eater where the inflation rate for meat was over 10% in the past year. And if they drive a lot, their inflation, their experience will be different. The awareness of inflation will differ by person. A household that is on a very tight budget buys a consistent amount of goods and services, the same thing every month, they'll be much more aware of it. The pro and I aren't. We track our spending every month, and if I look, we actually spent less on groceries 17% less on groceries and eating out in January 2022 compared to a year ago. I have no idea why. Maybe we were buying more storage goods a year ago. Our Food inflation, or at least what we spent, fell 17%. Now, in order to do an accurate comparison, we would have to compare the same quality of goods that we bought, and it it had to be different because food inflation was over 7% last year. We spent $146 on gasoline in January 2022 versus $206 a year ago, the same month. 29% less in gasoline, yet gasoline prices increased 40%. We didn't buy a super more efficient car. We just drove less. A fourth observation with inflation is there are long-term deflationary forces. Deflation is falling prices. And a primary driver of that deflation is these productivity and technology improvements. If quality of goods is getting better and the statistics reflect that, then that puts downward pressure. In addition, if businesses, manufacturers are getting even more efficient at producing more for less money, then that will show up in lower prices, ignoring quality improvements altogether. Just sheer productivity increases. Think about self-driving trucks. Right now, there's a company that is taking on business, running a self-driving truck route from Tucson to Phoenix every evening. And across the U.S., there's demand for land near cities on the outskirts for new transfer stations, for the self-driving trucks to show up and be transferred to trucks that have drivers to deliver the goods into the city. If we get completely to self-driving trucks, that potentially will be incredibly deflationary. There's also the deflationary trend of slower population growth. If there are less people and businesses continue to produce more, then that will lead to a drop in prices. We don't know then exactly where inflation is going to go because of these long-term deflationary trends, the subjectivity of calculating inflation, and how it differs from person to person, how preferences change both in the reference basket and then the personal inflation that we feel. That leads us to stagflation. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com david. That's linkedin.com david to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns, That's where the Betterment automated investing and savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts, high yield cash accounts where your money can earn 11 times the national average, and automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Stagflation is is a combination of a rapid rise in prices, the cost of living, combined with weak or even negative economic growth, where gross domestic product, which is the monetary value of the goods and services produced, if that value is falling for several quarters, that's a recession. And if that's occurring at the same time we have high inflation, that's what stagflation is. This was a term. Introduced back in 1965 by Ian McLeod, he was the spokesman on economic issues for the UK's Conservative Party. He said back then, we now have the worst of both worlds, not just inflation on the one side or stagnation on the other, but both of them together. We have some sort of stagflation situation. That was in the mid-60s. The worst period of stagflation was in the 70s. In the mid-70s, inflation was well over 10%, and yet real GDP, gross domestic product after adjusting for inflation, was negative. Nominal GDP, including inflation, would have been very positive, but we back out inflation in calculating gross domestic product, economic growth, because we want to see, is the economy growing on a real basis, net of the impact for inflation? There was a lot of stagflation in the 70s. Now, it tended to be fairly concentrated in the early to mid-70s. Over the entire decade, though, in developed countries, economic growth on a real basis actually increased on average 3% a year, even though inflation was much higher than that. So we didn't have stagflation the entire decade. Typically, the trigger for stagflation is some type of price shock. In the 70s, it was oil prices. That jumped dramatically in 1973 and again in 1979. Significant price increases. That's what we're seeing today. With the Russian-Ukraine conflict, oil prices are up over 20% and rising. Daily, we're seeing them go up. When we look at oil prices, we typically are looking at oil futures, which are contracts to deliver oil sometime in the future, This morning when I looked, the April contract for West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, the futures is $122. You go out into May, it's $118. June, it's $113. In August, it's $105. So the futures market is pricing in a drop in oil. That's called a contango situation. And I recently did a plus episode on investing in oil and describe that in much more detail. And hopefully in the coming weeks, we'll do a podcast for the the free podcast on investing in commodities where we can revisit that topic. If we look at Brent crude, which is crude oil in Europe and the Middle East, that hit $130 a barrel. It's been as high as $139 a barrel, a 26% increase just in the past week. And that's having a huge impact and will The the current inflation numbers don't even reflect this big jump in oil prices. This morning, the Biden administration announced that it would prohibit anyone in the United States from importing Russian crude oil and certain petroleum products, liquefied natural gas and coal. Russian oil imports into the U.S. make up only 4% of the U.S.'s total oil imports. So it's a small percentage but it has an impact. Britain gets 8% of its oil from Russia, and Europe, ex-UK, gets 30% of its oil imports. The price of oil is spiking because about 12% of the global oil production, which takes place in Russia, businesses in those countries are are either precluded from or choosing not to buy the oil. They're self-sanctioning. Mohammed Barkindo, who is the chief at OPEC, said there's no capacity in the world that could replace 7 million barrels per day. That's what Russia produces. That's why we're seeing oil prices hit 14-year highs. At this point, OPEC and other countries aren't increasing production either. So the supply of Russian oil isn't going into the market like it was, but other Oil-producing nations are not producing more to offset that, and so we have a price spike. Europe will continue to import Russian oil. Germany's leader, Chancellor Olaf Scholz, said that Russian energy products, including natural gas, is of essential importance. He continued, supplying Europe with energy for heat generation, mobility, electricity supply, and industry cannot be secured in any other way at the moment. They are forced to buy Russian oil and natural gas. They're working on becoming more independent of that in the coming years, but that, you just can't change that that quickly. And that's what leads to these price spikes. One of the things that can happen then that can lead to ongoing stagflation is households and businesses start to react to expect higher inflation. They demand higher wages to offset that. That's already coming in terms of raises for 2022. There's an anchoring impact, and that's what central banks dislike more than anything. They want households and businesses to have low expectations for inflation, that that is just how they're anchored. And when you see these huge price increases, and it's been ongoing for over a year, then that can lead to prolonged stagflation because it's difficult to get consumers to change their behavior when they start acting like inflation is here to stay. Now, one of the other things that contributes to stagflation is we need the economy to slow or even fall into a recession. So consumers cut back what they're willing to buy, perhaps waiting for prices to moderate or just out of fear. Companies start producing less because They don't want to pass on higher prices to their customers. They're not sure their customers will continue to buy at these elevated prices. That leads to a great deal of uncertainty and to stagflation because the recipes there for higher inflation coming from oil, a geopolitical crisis combined with changing business and consumer behavior that leads to lower economic growth or even contractions there could also be longer term impact a prolonged period of higher oil prices will more than likely lead to greater adoption of electric vehicles that could lead to an e- even greater drop in oil demand oil demand already peaked in the developed world in 2005 it's been the developing world that's been buying more and more oil but one of the leading developing countries is china a place that is adding more and more electric vehicles on the roads. I saw one report that potentially 20% of car purchases in China this year could be electric. What then do we monitor to see if stagflation is coming or will be here or is here? We need to look at leading indicators. One is the yield curve and the second is interest rates. The yield curve is a line graph showing short-term rates, intermediate-term rates, and longer-term rates. And generally speaking, it's upward sloping. Shorter-term interest rates are lower than longer-term interest rates. Now we're seeing the yield curve flatten. The 10-year Treasury bond yield is only 0.2% away from the 2-year Treasury bond yield. Longer-term interest rates are set by market expectations. They reflect the expectation for inflation, But they also reflect the expectation of what market participants believe the Federal Reserve and other central banks will do. When you get a flattening yield curve, or even an inverted yield curve, where longer term rates are lower than shorter term rates, that's usually a reflection that the markets believe the central bank will stop raising its policy rates. We're starting to see a flattening even before the Federal Reserve has even begun to raise its policy rate, which will occur this month, more likely. We don't know how long it will continue, most likely multiple rate hikes in 2022, but it depends on what households and businesses do. Central bankers hate stagflation. It's the worst of both worlds because their mandate is to keep Inflation and check, but also keep workers employed. And if you have stagflation and rising unemployment, it can be incredibly challenging. So we need to look to see if the yield curve continues to flatten. The other thing we can look for is what are leading economic indicators showing? Business surveys, known as purchasing manager indices survey, something that we monitor on Money for the Rest of Us Plus just to look to see what business expectations are. If we look at the most recent data, businesses before the invasion were still very positive. Most countries were in expansion territory where business was good and improving as the Omicron variant waned. We need to be aware of what some of these leading economic indices are doing, and it's certainly something that I do, and we do a money for the rest of us plus. One of the other things that's showing up in interest rates is the inflation expectations has increased. If we look at the yield on treasury inflation protection securities compared to the nominal yield on government bonds, that inflation expectation, that difference, the difference being what the market is assuming inflation will be, has been increasing. Right now, the five-year tips is priced for an expected inflation rate of 3.3%, by far the highest level since 2008. That means there's more anchoring, more expectations that inflation will stay, and if we get into a recession, then we could get stagflation. What do we do about it? Combined, Russia and Ukraine comprise less than 2% of the global economy, yet It can have an outsized impact because pulling away 12% of oil and natural gas flowing into the market has led to a price spike, which can lead to impacts across the world on households and businesses. We just don't know how long that will last if this particular conflict is resolved, sooner rather than later, to where we can get more moderation that potentially will be reflected in lower prices in the futures market for oil. The oil shock could be d- diminished, households and businesses could regain confidence, and then the potential stagflation never shows up. We don't know. I mentioned in the most recent investment conditions and strategy report that are released this past weekend for Money for the Us Plus that as investors, we need to make sure that we're comfortable with our strategic asset allocation. That if we get a more dramatic sell-off in stocks that we're not ruined or our retirement severely impacted. I believe I even mentioned that in last week's free podcast episode. Now's the time to do that. But to tactically make the adjustments right now when we don't really know how it will come about and there's not enough leading economic indicator evidence to suggest stagflation is here. Right now, we're just we're in the midst of the price shock. How will consumers and businesses adapt? That we can continue to monitor. Hopefully we'll not get stagflation. If you want to learn more about inflation and investing in Treasury Inflation Protection Securities, I-bonds, learn a little bit more about investing in oil futures, there are three guides on money for the rest of us. They're free. Go look under guides in the main menu, and there's one on understanding and protecting against inflation. There's one on investing in tips and I-bonds and one on Investing in oil commodities and other futures. So check that out. One side note, after I was yelled at by the woman at McDonald's, I drove up next to her and she was in her car with her dog. I was with LaPrille. I rolled down the window and tried to speak as calmly as possible. What, what did I do wrong? Eventually, she calmed down and apologized. When I explained, "Like here's how the line was set up and this is where we pulled in. So at least that situation, that conflict was resolved. May we have that same type of resolution in some of the current geopolitical conflicts so that we don't have to suffer through stagflation and more importantly, so that the bloodshed and the terror and the destruction can stop. That's episode 378. Thanks for listening. I'd like to help you become a better investor. Certainly, the free podcast helps with that. But have you subscribed to my email newsletter? It's where I share an essay on money investing in the economy each week to that list of thousands of email subscribers. I put a great deal of thought and time into that newsletter, and I would love you to be able to read it and learn from it. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com. Another way I would love to help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is the premier investment education platform that's been operating for almost seven years now. Plus membership gives members the tools and resources they need to manage their investment portfolios. Not only can you tap into my more than two decades of investment experience, look at my portfolio trades. But my research is backed by top-tier institutional research partners, such as Ned Davis Research, Capital Economics, MSCI, Refinitiv Data Stream. I curate the most important content and lessons to help you make better portfolio decisions. You'll also access a community of over 1,000 members to get their insights. Money for the Rest of Us Plus is a bargain compared to a college credit, or subscribing to institutional research services that cost tens of thousands of dollars per year, or even hiring a financial advisor. You can learn more at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.